I guess uh, introduce ourselves. I'm Eric. I am Zach of filmsandfables.com. <laughs> I'm not even going to plug myself. I'm going to take the high road on this one. That's because it's already your name.com. <laughs> the high road. Like we're making any money on anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you are listening to Readers of the Lost Drafts. And this time we will be uh, going through Back to the Future, the first draft written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gill, and it was dated February 24th, 1981. Um, 80. What? 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 No, I'm good. I thought you said something. No. All right. Um, so you might know Robert Zemeckis from uh, such movies as Forrest Gump, Castaway, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Death Becomes Her, Romancing the Stone, Contact, What Lies Beneath, and more recently, The Walk, Flight, Polar Express, Beowulf, and A Christmas Carol, the one with Jim Carrey animated thing um and does he do anything good <laughs> <laughs> i like the walk did you did you see that one isn't that the one where like 50 percent of the audience walked out uh never mind i could be wrong i don't know not worry about it <laughs> <laughs> well you should see it because it's pretty good uh, uh i I'll take a word for it. <laughs> but uh, Bob Gale, you might know from absolutely nothing. Bordello of blood. Come on. <laughs> nothing. Sorry, for absolutely me. Yeah. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like one story and the one movie, Bordello of Blood. Yeah, the guy has And it looks not like he's really lot. Yeah, he's really latched on to Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> he's doing like all the telltale games, I think. Like, oh, just yeah. Really latching on to that. And um, uh some yeah, just video game stuff. Yeah. Of it. Wow. The last thing he worked on was uh Back to the Future, Doc Brown Saves the World video short <laughs> from twenty fifteen. But yeah. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the script, it, my copy, I don't know if your copy said the same thing. Uh, my copy was like 119 pages. But it ended like but it ended at like 91 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And the whole time I was like, oh man, I got 40 more pages of this thing. I like, know. That's what I got. How is there that much left <laughs> in this thing? But Especially no, it was ending. It was just uh, it ended at ninety one, and there was a whole bunch of blank pages. So, yep. I don't know what that's. I about. accidentally zoomed out. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, because I so. got to like the last page. And I was like, okay, so they're just gonna go with this thing now for no right. reason. 
I mean, they kind of wrapped up the main story here. Mm-hmm. I can't believe how it ended. <laughs> Cannot wait to get there. Yeah, this one is uh, quite a big change. Yeah. Definitely glad we picked this one, because it was actually, like, different yeah. from <laughs> the final product. Um, but yeah, so before <clears throat> the movie actually starts... There are two quotes on the thing. Uh, the first one is, Physicists propose that two alternate histories, two equally valid realities, could exist side by side. The one you know, and the one in which you don't exist. Time itself may have many potential dimensions, despite the fact that we are condemned to experience only one of them. Attributed to Carl Sagan. And the other quote. Hey kids, what time is it? Attributed to Buffalo Bob Smith, the Howdy Doody show. <laughs> Howdy Doody is never referenced in this script after that. Nor is Carl Sagan, I believe. Nope. Yeah, Carl Sagan's a trippy dude to begin with. <laughs> and that's how you want to begin your script. I'm just like... I mean, oh, what did we walk into? <laughs> I saw the Howdy Doody show, and I, uh, I mean, in the movie, or at least in the third movie, that comes up again, is when it's panning across after Marty comes back, mm. and he's like, "No, I'm back. I'm back from the future," and then he, <laughs> uh, um, he goes to like, you know. Doc's house and Doc is like sleeping or like fainted or whatever. It pans across the TV and it's like the Howdy Doody show is on. Mm. I, I think I noticed a few Easter eggs here that make it into the whole trilogy. Yeah. And I didn't bother to watch this one before recording because yeah, I figured so you watched this. <laughs> <laughs> You've, you probably watched this 10 more times than me. So. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've uh, seen my fair share of Back to the Future. Especially with your endless cut. Yeah. As, as I call it. Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's great. If I could somehow make it like loop back to the beginning and like reset the timeline, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yes, for the listener's benefit, I have spliced together all three movies exactly where they connect between each one. So that is just one continuous movie from the beginning of the first one to the end of the third one and it is very seamless and I'm very happy about it the way it turned out <laughs> so how what's the running time on that Eric oh it's like five hours and something does that include credits or did you yeah. cut them out completely well, I cut the credits out of the first two yeah it just cuts from but not the third one no <laughs> I, I left the credits in the third one I should have put all I three like to watch credits. That one. I should yeah, have had it just keep end, scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like 20 minute credits. Exactly. But anyway. But yeah, so... Um, As we're listening to that audio, we cut to uh, exterior outer space. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so... Uh, we start with the very last scene before the end credits of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 
And what a way to spoil the movie for everybody in the audience. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, then we pull back to see that we're watching a TV screen. And then we see Marty McFly is pirating the movie in a laboratory. And Marty <laughs> shuts down the video equipment and places the master tape back in a drawer. And then uh, Marty tells Professor Brown, that's his name, Professor Brown, Yep. That he's leaving, and Professor Brown just shushes him. And Brown is doing some experiment involving converting sunlight into energy. And in 33 <laughs> years, he hasn't made much headway. And he hasn't got anything to show but a bootleg video operation. Marty suggests <laughs> scraping enough money for a 35 mil film chain because he's got a connection with a projectionist, and they could sell new movies before they're even in theaters. And then Brown <laughs> considers it for a moment. And then on Marty's way out, he tries a locked door, but it doesn't open. And Brown then rambles about being aware of time as a dimension to be controlled, and Marty just leaves, and Brown continues to be traveled through. And then Brown admires his invention behind the locked door, which we don't see much of, just a series of lenses, kind of get bits and pieces of it. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> thoughts on this opening? <laughs> you know, when you compare this to the original uh, film, of just like how subtly the whole like background is laid out for everything mm -hmm. and uh, foreshadowing. Uh, just compared to this, you're just <laughs> compared. We just like, oh man, we're dropped right in the middle of this very seedy operation. Yeah, th that's where the thing. Like, it's like I'm rooting for these guys. <laughs> yeah, like okay, so this is the protagonist. I don't know about this. Right, but it's it's so much easier to believe like that Marty got hooked up with this guy. Yeah. Just because they're in it for the money, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I I otherwise, it's like, I don't understand the connection. <laughs> they never explain it. Maybe Marty was just, uh, like, invested in the relationship just to get access to the big amplifier for his guitar. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I could actually see that in the movie but in this yeah yeah uh there's like all these like pop culture movies spread out that are bootlegging it's hilarious <laughs> to me and i'm like this guy's a professor a professor of professor what, really? <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's just like i feel like they're both just wasting their lives yeah it's just like huh. <laughs> how about that and i like how and, seriously uh, uh, the professor's like, oh, huh, yeah, getting uh, movies out on the street before they're even in theaters. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll see what we can do about that. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Which is, did that remind you of Spaceballs? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Release these VHS cassettes before they even get out <laughs> But yeah, um, pretty original opening, I guess. Especially what I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I think it works for the most part. Yeah, I mean, it sets up the characters. I mean, 
at the end of the mm -hmm. script, I, you know, Marty yep. didn't seem <laughs> to be out of character. <laughs> I knew what he was. I knew what uh, he was all about the way through. Yep. Uh, Professor Brown's a little harder to get a beat on, but uh... yeah, he just seems more like the projectionist than last action hero. It's like, <laughs> what if how are you keeping movie, this all together? This version of the movie is just those two: the projectionist and then the D Danny. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh man, that'd be perfect. <sighs> See now that's. I I can understand like that connection. Oh yeah. But anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then uh Marty exits the lab and it's uh like the like an old theater building which the Orpheum Theater. It seems interesting to me that they are pirating movies inside of an old theater. <laughs> Like counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's going through town and it's like all dilapidated and mm. kind of run down. And he sees some weird guys doing <laughs> some water tests in the gutters. <laughs> yes. Um, then he stops off at Wilson's Cafe for a quick bite and drink um, as he's on his way to school. And I guess this scene is just supposed to, like, set up, like, his normal routine and in contrast oh, yeah. to when he goes back. But it's just such a quick thing, like... He just literally goes in and orders some food, and then he's like, all right, time for school. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I do like the dialogue. Uh, Marty comes in, says, morning, Dick. Then Dick's like, what's for breakfast? Marty orders chili fries and a tab. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> I mean, it, it didn't feel like filler to me. It did feel like an average day. Yeah. But uh, I can see why you might not be a fan of it. I, mean, I, I just thought it was weird that uh, he's on his way to school and he just stops off for some breakfast. <laughs> I mean, I don't and know. he's late already, isn't he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, wait, let me scroll up a little bit. Well, maybe not. But how much time does he oh, have yeah, before I, school anyway? Uh, well, it's 8.30 in, uh, when he, before he leaves. So. <laughs> uh, he says he has to go. Well, it starts at 9 o'clock back in time, back in the past. So I assume it's 9 o'clock today. Well, then. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 8.30 when he's in the theater. I assume 9 o'clock like it was later in the script. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Gotcha. And uh, it is interesting because we kept, I think both of us kept experiencing to hear, wow. That's why I don't like recording so late. Um, I assume you're assuming, as I was, that Marty would be calling the Doc Doc throughout the script. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we, we kind of skimmed over this, but before he leaves, Marty calls him Pro. <laughs> the sun's out. 
that's the only time he re- abbreviates professor, but yeah. <laughs> Just had to get that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't figure out a nice way to shorten up professor. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. then Marty is at school. And his teacher is talking about atomic bomb tests that were done in the U.S. in the 1950s. There's no Mr. way this RK. could possibly come back later in the movie. <laughs> Especially because we weren't expecting it at all. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Marty writes a note asking Susie Parker to a dance. And he hands the note to her. And then Mr. Arky continues and tells everyone that nuclear annihilation is still a threat <laughs> in 1981. <laughs> and uh, what a great teacher this guy is because he just, like, goes off man. with this like, whole, like, you don't even know, man. Like, Right? <laughs> this is so much better the second time around. I will say that. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But yeah, um, but he asks the students what they think about the whole idea of nuclear annihilation, <laughs> and uh, nobody is really interested in answering. And Susie hands the note back to Marty, and it says yes, so that's cool. And then Mister Arky calls on Marty, and good on Marty because he was, I guess, paying attention. And he says uh, he'd like to see an atomic bomb. And Mr. Arky gets snarky and uppity with Marty. Wow. And says says to the rest of the class, McFly wants to detonate a 100 megaton geothermal nuclear (laughs) device just to see it. Wow. And uh, Marty retorts under his breath, yeah, explode it up your ass. He's really not good at comebacks here. No, he's not. Um, Mr. Arky says that they may just see the entire annihilation of the world and uh, the destruction of natural resources. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. This is so much better the second time through. (laughs) And uh, I don't know why. I just just imagined Alan Arkin as Mr. Arky. (laughs) I could see that. I think you'd do a better impression than me if you want to do one of his lines. Um, let's see. What? What? what uh, what's a good just, line? Here? I don't know. Okay. Mister Flaw here. Let's see. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. Uh, do let it. me find it. Uh, page six or so. Uh, oh yeah. Mr. McFly here wants to see a nuke at all, just so he can see it. Yes. All I can say is, that's one hell of an attitude, Mr. McFly. Let's explore a 100 megaton geothermal nuclear device just to see it. Unfortunately, the way things are going, you may get your wish. You may see the entire annihilation of the world. If not, you'll certainly see the destruction of all our natural resources. We can already see the air we breathe, not to mention pollution in our rivers and lakes, 
we'll see all of our oil reserves depleted. In fact, all of our energy resources. <laughs> yes, you people have a lot to look forward to. A lot to see. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> also works very well for Bernie Sanders. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, um, definitely a very great scene. I mean, not a great scene, <laughs> yeah. but uh, much like the Wilson's uh, diner or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just seeing the reverse of that when it goes back in time. Right, yeah. Totally worth it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just wondering how this teacher still has a job with... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't really teach much. He just kind of like warns everybody yeah. about the doom of the planet. <laughs> I know, right? But compare that with like the outside of um, the Orpheum Theater, like how that's already oh, abandoned yeah. theater. Compared to like all the broken down shops. Mm -hmm. I think the school was mentioned as... Uh, like, just the school itself is, like, graffiti all over, broken windows all over the place. Mm -hmm. I think it just sets the stage for, wow, is this a shitty town or yeah. what? So, after all that, uh, the bell rings, and then everybody rushes out the door. And then we get to uh, the students filing out of the school, and Marty is slinging the bootleg tapes. Uh, there's a kid named Rafe Newton who asks Marty to loan him 50 until the weekend. Marty says he can't because he's saving for a new amp. Marty's friend Donaldson asks if Marty wants to come over and get high, and then Marty says maybe tomorrow because he has to work on more tapes. Then Donaldson asks Marty to provide some entertainment for his brother's bachelor party. Cut to... It sounds so lame. <laughs> I mean, your bachelor party was great, but I don't know. Yeah. It just sounds so lame. Oh, yeah. Can I, I get a bootleg movie from <laughs> Brother's Bachelor Party? So, oh. yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, this continues to not really paint a great picture of Marty as a protagonist. Definitely. <laughs> He's just sort of a drug dealer at this point. Yeah. Um, not there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we cut to Marty copying a porno film. Oh, there we go. And he turns the volume down and goes to the fridge. And then an orange rolls oh, out no. and under the cot where Prof Brown is sleeping. That's the best <laughs> I could do. <laughs> yes. Uh, Marty then goes to get it, but it's next to a box of radioactive plutonium. Marty oh, carefully gets the orange and throws it away, then goes over to a cage with an organ grinder monkey, and he opens the cage and lets him climb up on him. Then Marty finds some Shh. blueprints, and Marty then looks at the power converter that we saw before. Yes? The monkey's name is Shemp. Yes, the monkey's name is Shemp. <laughs> <laughs> We'd never see again. <laughs> um, then Marty looks at the power converter, and there's a funnel sticking out of the chemical chamber. Um, for some reason, he can't resist pouring coke into it. <laughs> yes. Then it sparks, and it wakes up Professor Brown. Uh, it's 
just want everybody to know, all the listeners to know, this is specifically Coca-Cola. He, Eric's not just saying, like, cola for soda. Yeah. It's literally the brand name Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola in the script. There's a lot of brand yep. names in this script. I guess there is, but I just wanted but them to know. I mean, yes, that is a specific thing. Um, Why would he do this? Uh, I, right I, after I, he was so afraid of the plutonium <laughs> box. I just gotta pour some coke around this shit. This yeah, like fine. just, oh cool. This is a random thing I know nothing about. I'm just gonna pour coke into it. <laughs> But I guess, uh, uh, you know, he's, it had to happen. Just yeah. saying. Um, but yeah, Marty says it was an accident, and Brown takes the coke from him and starts pouring it in. <laughs> <laughs> then the thing goes crazy, and the light bulb glows so bright it eventually explodes. And Professor explodes. Brown <laughs> explodes. <laughs> Professor Brown stares in disbelief, and in the script. What is this stuff? His, <laughs> his reaction is, uh, his reaction would be no different if Jesus Christ himself walked into the room. Lots of exclamation uh, points in this script. Not a fan. It's 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 almost like Stan Lee wrote a script because he's so <laughs> excited about everything. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, just for me, exclamation points in the script. Not not a fan, like I said. Yeah. But if you're like. I can understand if you're really passionate about it. You like want to let them know you're excited <laughs> about it. I guess I don't know. Uh, it just exclamation points almost feel like fake excitement. Yeah, you know, it's like, uh, come on, be excited about this thing. It's like <laughs> exactly. it's instead of like actually making somebody excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, mm. but uh, I agree. Yeah, so. Then Professor Brown says, what's in this stuff? And Marty says, nobody knows. And it kind of gets a little, almost (laughs) like a commercial for Coke here. I know. Um, He says it's the most closely guarded secret in the world. (laughs) Exclamation point. (laughs) And uh, then Brown takes the device into the locked room and tells Marty he'll see him tomorrow. Then, just happened to be some plutonium, and yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like, I feel like it, all of this stuff was just done so perfectly in the movie. Like in that first <laughs> yeah. scene, you know, like you see the little box of plutonium when Marty's mm-hmm. skateboard hits it. Yep, you see all of this little stuff in the background that, like, you know comes up later but mm-hmm. it's not like thrown in your face right i don't know but anyway it, yeah it's so it's so jarring <laughs> yeah <laughs> this almost it almost feels like it's written by like a first time writer or something yeah definitely well a good writer i will say that yeah you can definitely see like the main story points are there and they're like mm-hmm. we know these things are core to this idea we just don't exactly know how to work everything <laughs> the best yeah 
I could definitely see some producers' influence yeah. making this so much better. Like, I'm sure once they got Steven Spielberg on board, he exactly. probably yeah. helped a lot. But, uh, yeah, then we move to Marty's bedroom, where he plays guitar in his room with headphones on. And he looks for something by using the guitar neck to move stuff around. And <laughs> then he asks... How do you feel about that? <laughs> A little ridiculous. I mean, just stop playing the guitar. Yes. <laughs> it's like, didn't he just tune that? That's all I can think. But uh, he asks who took his drill, but pretty much only gets a response of dinner's ready. And he goes <sighs> down, and his father, George, is watching a boxing match, which... Oh, oh yeah. man. Damn. Okay, I gotta give him props on this second read, right? Because uh... exactly, <laughs> I feel the same way. Because like the yeah, okay. Um, but damn, Marty asks him about the drill, but he gets no response. And then uh, we learned that his mom's name is Eileen in this draft instead of Lorraine. I think Lorraine kind of flows better. Not just because we've been watching that movie for years. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. But I'm just saying. Like, but yeah, I kept reading that. I'm like, man, Eileen. this does not sound right at all. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, all the other names I see someone are the changing same. that. It's just yeah. that one that's different. I don't know. I kept reading that. I'm like, man, am I reading that right? <laughs> I knew it wasn't yeah. right. I knew it was Lorraine. But I'm just like, man, it's hard to read. <laughs> but, uh,. Yeah, she says that she's been calling him for five minutes. And he asks his dad about the drill again. And George just says, oh, it'll turn up. And he clearly doesn't care about anything that's happening. And uh, Eileen says that dinner's ready and asks Marty about school. And he just gets single word uh, responses. And then George gets to the table and sits down, asks him the exact same questions, and gets the exact same responses. Uh, I like how George rolls the TV stand over to the dinner table. Yes, that was good. Because, you know. Definitely uh, reminiscent of but it, what they yeah. did in the movie. Like I said, it's little stuff like that just pops up in the, the actual trilogy. Yeah. Like, here it has no... I mean, it has little... You know, significance, but yeah, but yeah, no mention of siblings, I believe. Nope, nothing about Jailbird Joey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, Eileen says that they're taking Marty's grandmother out for Chinese food on Saturday, <laughs> and Marty says <laughs> that's the night of the springtime in Paris dance. Eileen says that dance was her and George's first date. They kissed during the last song, Turn Back the Hands of Time, and George mm-hmm. asked her out in the cafeteria, nearly spilling his cream corn. And you better take notes, because all of this information will be important later. <laughs> yep. This is a good instance of uh, Marty paying attention without really trying to. Yeah. Like in class. Yeah, seriously. like. Right? Like, as crappy as he is, in general... <laughs> He does not seem like a great guy. <laughs> At least he remembers stuff. Yeah. 
It's a decent memory. <laughs> I'd be so screwed in this movie. Oh, like, yeah, seriously. seriously, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Marty says that him and Susie are going to take going to the lake Saturday night to watch the sunrise in the morning. Eileen doesn't yes. like the sound of him being out all night with a girl. And then there's oh, a pounding man. on the door, and Marty goes to answer it. And it's Biff. And him and Marty oh, kind man. of have a back and forth of insults. And Biff brings in a drill and yells at Mar- at George for giving him a crappy drill. George says that he shouldn't have used wood bits for an- his engine block. And then Biff leaves, and George doesn't really seem the slightest bit bothered by anything. And then Marty storms out, kind of like uh, Kevin Bacon and Footloose. Yes. <laughs> I thought that too. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I thought of. <laughs> Maybe Marty could just be played by Kevin Bacon in this draft. Sure. <laughs> oh, speaking of, speaking of, uh, would you rather play Doc Brown or George? Um, I guess I'll be I'll be George in this one. Okay. Um, I'm probably Biff. Just saying. <laughs> but uh, then Marty. Uh, outside, he punches the mailbox and kicks the car. And <laughs> Please play that music, whatever. Oh yeah. I loved how you did on collateral. Yeah, so then we cut to later, and he is on a walk with Susie. And he's telling her his frustration with his dad for never standing up for himself. And he wonders how he even got the nerve to marry his mom. And then they discuss not being able to imagine their parents having sex. And <laughs> they get interrupted by a skateboard hitting Marty. And he sees the kids that it came from and rides it over to them, showing off. And then he goes back to Susie and says, just like riding a bike, you never forget how to do it. And uh, I guess this implies that he hasn't ridden a skateboard in a long time yeah. or something. But uh, but you never forget how. <laughs> then they arrive at Susie's house and Marty kisses her and she goes in. I, I, just, love, I just love how talented the actor would have to be for Marty. <laughs> you have to be a guitar player and a skateboarder. <laughs> You have to look like you can fight. Oh, man. <laughs> Perfect casting. Yeah. Seriously. But, yeah, I, I like how in the movie they kind of set the skateboard stuff up a lot better. Oh, by yeah. Like having, him, having it be like a central part of his character, like, throughout the yeah. movie. <laughs> exactly. Instead of just, like, this throwaway, like, oh, hey, I can skateboard, too. Yep. <laughs> It probably helps whenever your actor can actually skateboard well. Oh yeah, by their own, on their own. So yeah. So then uh, after that, a black sedan pulls up to Marty as he starts to walk home, and then two government agents get out, and they check Reese. <laughs> <laughs> One 
What year is it? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, their names are Reese and Foley. And uh, they check Marty with a Geiger counter, and it says that it's... And they say it's a routine radiation check. <laughs> oh. I don't know if I that was I hate this ever... version of 1982. I mean, like, I don't think that's a thing that was ever done. Well, routine radiation a... checks. Well, this is a shitty 1981, not 82, like that's I just true. said. That's true. This is kind of like the uh, alternate 1985 from the second one. <laughs> like Biff's yeah, 5, yeah. right? That's what I thought. But anyway, um, they're obviously, it's obviously not a routine yes. check because they're obviously looking for the plutonium. <laughs> but yeah, they get a uh, very strong signal from Marty's feet. And uh, from when he got near the plutonium in Prof's lab. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's the best I could do. I know. And uh, they check his ID and ask where he's been in the last 12 hours, mentioning an address that we assume is Prof's house. (laughs) And Marty says, no, just home and school. And then they say, okay, and leave. And then Marty heads over to Professor Brown. And when he gets there, the upper floor windows blow out from a gush of air, and Marty breaks in and races upstairs. He goes Jesus. into the now open locked room that he couldn't get in before. And the professor is standing next to a homemade nuclear reactor. Love and it. <laughs> homemade. Yep. <laughs> professor tells Marty to get behind the lead shield because he's about to release radiation. <laughs> oh, my Such God. Such an irresponsible man. <laughs> well, he figured, what the hell. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, so oh, then the uh, professor activates the machine and a beam hits Shemp, the monkey, and makes it disappear. And Marty thinks that the professor just disintegrated Shemp, but professor says that it's his structure is completely intact. Um, pretty similar to the, the way he talks uh, in the movie about Einstein. And uh, Marty asks where he is, and Prof corrects him when he is. When is he? Um, there we go. And Shemp has become the world's first time traveler. And then Marty is shocked by the news of a working time machine. As anyone would be. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the professor explains that he knew the time machine would work when he built it 33 years ago, but he never had enough power. Because the because of the chemical makeup of Coca-Cola, the power converter is now operating at peak efficiency. <laughs> Love it. A hell of a product placement that they've got going here. Right? Like, uh, like yeah, oh yeah, Coca-Cola like actually, make your oh. time machine work perfectly. <laughs> Give it just enough power. I love how they mentioned the flux capacitor and several gigawatts. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, man, it was right there. Yeah. This is the only time we see that in the whole script, I believe. Yeah, they don't even actually 
I kept looking for flux capacitor the whole way through. Yeah. But the closest I get is like uh, flow capacitor later yeah. toward the end. I'm like, no, <laughs> what are you thinking? And that's the only time we see gigawatts. Yeah. Is in this uh, little block of dialogue. Mm-hmm. But yes, so uh, yeah, the professor is explaining that the flux capacitor releases several gigawatts in a fraction of a millisecond. And he uses plutonium to generate the energy needed. And then the, Marty tells the professor about the feds that he ran into. And then Shemp comes back, and his clock is exactly two minutes behind the lab clock. And Marty then asks if it can go back in time as well. And professor says it can. And Marty then says they should use it to place bets on horses using the race results yes. from today's paper. And Professor says, oh, altering the course of history is a responsibility he does not wish to bear. And the Professor is interested only in the future. Um, looks like they found a use for that idea in the second one. Exactly. I just love how Marty asks a simple question of going back in time. And Professor Brown says, all you have to do is reverse the polarity. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's like the go-to. Yeah. Like, sci-fi term for anything you want to <laughs> reverse. Yeah. Yeah, just go for polarity. Yeah. There's there's only two options with polarity. <laughs> yeah. And I love how uh, Professor Brown loves the idea of going forward in time to fuck things yeah, up. But seriously. going back in time is a no-go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. He, he definitely gets very... Uh... <laughs> Um, <laughs> hypocritical, contradictory. Oh, so easy. <laughs> um, Marty, that would alter history. I only want to go forward. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, the second he goes forward in time, he has altered history because then he doesn't exist until 30 exactly. years later. So. It's amazing. Ugh. I'm glad they locked that down later. Yeah, seriously. Ugh. Actually, not in the script. Completely not. Yeah. But in the movies. Yeah, the movies. Um, oh man, this ending. Holy shit. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yes. He really does figure what the hell. <laughs> he does. <laughs> One big of a hell. Uh, oh. Then uh, Doc leaves the room and Barney switches the polarity of the machine uh, secretly. Because of course he does. To make it go back in time because Marty's just an asshole. He is. <laughs> he is an asshole. And he gives Shemp the newspaper with the race results. Amazing. And the professor gives Marty a micro cassette recorder and tells him to read off the radiation levels. Then the pr- professor... I missed that part. Yeah. And because he has that later. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Professor activates the machine, and Marty begins reading off the info. And just then, the feds bust into the room and tell the professor to shut the machine down. The professor refuses, and then they shoot the professor. And as he staggers back and falls, he pulls the rope that activates the machine back with him. And it causes Love the it. machine to go up to 4,200 rads. And the monkey runs off. 
and Marty finds himself in the beam, and there's a bright light, and then darkness, and Marty lights a match and finds himself in the storeroom. I love the idea of this homemade nuclear reactor requiring a rope to pull something. (laughs) Yeah. With everything he has set up, oh man, (laughs) don't pull the rope. And yeah, oh man. It's, I mean, he's got plutonium in this thing, like, just put like a lever or something, I don't know, a dial? I know, yeah. And I also love how this thing is supposed to run on solar energy, originally, (laughs) but it very easily switches to coke. (laughs) Yeah. For no reason. But yeah, uh... 4,200 rads is the golden number here for time travel. Yeah. Well, at least... That's how much radiation it takes. The specific time that he goes to. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll get back to that later. I missed that. Okay. Um, But yeah, Marty uh, wakes up... Or not wakes up, but he lands in a storeroom and uh, he opens the door... And, uh, or he tries to open the door, but it's locked. Um, locked from, I feel like his side should be the one that locks, not the other side. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's inside the room. (laughs) But, uh, anyway, he decides to climb out the window instead. And it's nighttime. And when he climbs down the fire escape and lands on the ground, a truck almost hits him, but he moves out of the way. And he notices he's next to the rear entrance door to Wilson's Cafe. So he goes in. And there's some exclamation points telling us some surprising differences in the cafe Marty once knew. (laughs) Roast beef sandwich is 30 cents. An ice cream sundae is 15 cents. There are men in suits and hats, women in long skirts, not a single one in pants, and hairstyles like Marty has never seen. Exclamation point. Yep. And, uh, yeah. I just love how he just, like, wanders into the restaurant yeah. after the doc just got <laughs> shot to death. Yeah, he's uh, handling that pretty well. Yes. Yes. He is slow to adjust to changes, I will say that. He's slow to adjust to changes, but he's quick to exploit those changes however it benefits him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, so Marty gawks and sits down at the counter, and then uh, the exchange here is pretty similar to the final movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, give me a tab, and can't give you a tab unless you order something. Although it's a woman this time and not a guy. Yeah, waitress. Yeah. yeah. Um, then Marty just orders a coffee. And then another customer asks if he's been lost in the woods or something. And Marty just kind of <laughs> ignores this and asks the waitress for sweet and low. Obviously, she does not know what that is. And Sweet and what? <laughs> sweet and what? <laughs> Uh, she gets suspicious and asks him to pay first and he hands her she takes the coffee away (laughs) 
And uh, he hands her a 20, and she kind of freaks out on him. She's like, uh, <laughs> what, a $20 bill? I don't, I don't have enough change to break a 20. <laughs> and uh, apparently $20 was like a $100 bill back then. Uh, What's a kid your age doing with all this money, she says. <laughs> Bootlegging movies. Yeah. Um, but then Marty asks to talk to Dick, the guy who runs the place. And the waitress says that she runs the place, and Marty clarifies Dick Wilson, and everybody laughs as it's revealed that Dick Wilson is only five years old at the moment. And then Marty spots the calendar behind the register and sees it's the oh, year man. 1952. And I love he it. freaks and yells to the whole cafe that he's gone back in time 30 years, and he hasn't <laughs> even been born yet. Yes. He is really not good at uh, being, uh, I don't know, conspicuous, inconspicuous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just like the, um, like how they mirror, like we were talking earlier, mm. like how they mirror the scene. Yeah. Uh, when we first met Dick, he was eating a Babe Ruth behind the counter. Mm. And uh, back in 1952 here, he's like, Mom, can I have uh, some candy? And she hands him a Babe Ruth. Mm. Just like that. Yeah. And I just love how simple time travel movies are to shoot. Yeah. Like, you just have to tell one character that this guy is five years old now. <laughs> it's just so cheap. I love yeah. it. And he's just... Oh, man. I love Marty's dialogue. 1952. <laughs> this is 1952. Holy <laughs> shit. He, yeah, like you said, we he just does not take this very well. Like, Nobody would. Yeah, but like but to be like, oh, I've traveled back in time. That sucks. Like, like okay, <sighs> if you think you've traveled back in time, you don't kind of like shout it to everybody around you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he's just in shock from the whole event. I guess that's true. I mean, it's it's still funny to me. Yeah, imagining him react like this. Even when he goes out to the phone booth and just <laughs> everything. Yeah, but... Uh, but yeah, obviously when he freaks out, the waitress says he's going to call the cops. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend running into a diner, yelling it's the wrong year. Yeah. <laughs> just freaking out. I mean, you could... Which we should do sometime. You could recut this <laughs> script to uh, be like a Terminator movie. Yes. What year is it? <laughs> um, but yes, we should do that sometime. Um, Marty runs out and sees uh, familiar places in an unfamiliar way. Uh, the old rundown places are now bustling and profitable, and the Orpheum Theater is actually a functioning theater, and he runs <laughs> to a payphone and finds Emmett Brown in the book. He talks to the operator, saying he doesn't have a dime for the call, but it's an emergency. And the operator says that it only costs a nickel. And he's like, oh, yes, right. And uh, Marty then tells her where to call, and she says there's no answer. So then Marty asks the date, and she tells him March 11th. He's like, the year! Yeah. And she starts saying 1950 and he just yells damn it and slams the phone <laughs> I love it I love it 
Because, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine taking this too well in any circumstance. Yeah. But he's just, like, flying off the handle completely. Nineteenth. <laughs> yeah. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so then he runs down the street, and he eventually finds his house. Oh, and then man. Marty sees his mom and runs up to the door and tells his mom to open up. Even though... <laughs> He's uh, learned by now that this is not the correct year. And uh, then a man asks, who's there, Stella? And Marty realizes that it's actually his grandmother, not his mom. And then his mom, age 17, comes down the stairs and he faints after seeing her. And then he wakes up to Professor Brown administering smelling salts. And I do like that Professor Brown is the first, like, comes to him yeah. here. Um, but he yells that Brown, he yells that Brown's time machine works. And Brown's just like, would you shut your face right yes. now? Like, <laughs> so he just quiets him and Marty's grandparents come back into the room and Brown says that he was just drunk and he's actually a second cousin of his named Lewis, Marty Lewis. And then Stella called Brown because Marty had his name circled on the phone book page. and That's pretty well written. Oh, I yeah, think. I like that. And uh, Brown says that he'll get Marty home safe. And Marty's mom hands him his jacket and asks what the material is. The silver Porsche jacket. <laughs> I love and it. he says polyester, but of course she has no idea what that means. And Professor Brown covers for him and says that it's an invention of his. I do like that uh, uh, Brown keeps, like, covering for him and, like, yeah, playing he's along pretty with good it at and it. everything. Yeah. He's handling it much better than in the movie. Yeah, like this kid that he's never seen before in his life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe he's handling this too well. Yeah. I think <laughs> about be. it. Your time machine works. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I guess he is working on it, right? Yeah, he's already working on it at this yeah, point. Yeah, he's already working on it. Um, but yeah, so then the young Professor Brown and Marty pull up to uh, Professor's Mansion, and Marty actually sounds pretty smart explaining the time machine device. Um, mm. Surprisingly smart. <laughs> uh but they walk to the door, and Marty tells the professor that it's a nice house, but there's a mall there in the future. And professor doesn't know <laughs> what a mall is and tells Marty to shut it because he doesn't want to know yes. about the future. <laughs> What's Which, a mall? Wait, never mind. <laughs> I love that Professor Brown here is like, shut your face. I don't want to know anything about the future. And yeah, why is he building a time machine? Because... Yeah. In the previous scene, he was like, Marty, we cannot go back into the past because affecting time would be bad. I'm only interested yep. in going to the future and seeing what's up there. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and then we go back to the past, and he doesn't want to know about the future at yeah, all. He, like, what is he doing? It's like, ridiculous. Why does he even want the time machine? What's he going to use it for? I mean, it has been... 
30 years. <laughs> you could change your mind a few times. Yeah, you? I suppose. Um, but uh, then Professor takes Marty from room to room and asks if he sees the device. And Marty oh, eventually yeah. finds it, and it's much shinier than it was in the future. And uh, <laughs> Professor is convinced that Marty is who he says he is because the Professor is the only person to have ever seen the machine. Uh, but he wonders why he would ever send someone back in time. And Marty says it was an accident, but before he can explain, Professor shushes him again. <laughs> and he repeats what the future professor was saying about knowledge of future events potentially having devastating effects on the course of history. But... Why is he building this? Yes, exactly. Like... You're completely right. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm building it, but don't do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. But then the professor says that he just needs to send Marty back to his own time, and Marty says he can dig that, and that's another expression that Professor Brown does not understand at all. Oh, and then... Uh, <laughs> I, I can get behind... I agree with you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. Pause. Have you ever watched Supernatural? No. Well, anytime they go back in time, it's just it's, it's just as disastrous as, like, Marty here. Like, they think it's going to be so cool, but then, like, reality sets in that you don't belong here <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, I, I, I did like how, um, actually, uh, the doc took Marty through his house and said, pick out the time machine. Yeah, yeah, I did like that. Just uh, another indication of, oh, man, this kid is a full of shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then, uh, we cut to a, uh, Professor Brown is getting a phone call and he, uh, they're asking if he wants to be a major <laughs> stockholder with Xerox and the professor says, no, thanks because he's having breakthroughs of his own. And then Marty <laughs> winces at hearing it, knowing yes. the future and, uh, the professor asks Marty where he got enough power to send someone 30 years through time. Oh, man. And then says, don't tell me. And then he says, on second thought, maybe there are some things you have to tell me. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, one thing I, I like about the Xerox bit, um, having read the whole script is, uh, you know, he's right. Yeah. By the end of the movie, like, you know, he does not need to be working for Xerox. Yep. Uh, I love how he doesn't pronounce it correctly in the phone conversation. Yeah, he's uh, X-Rox, I think he calls it I'm, or something. Yeah, yeah. X, I'm not interested in this X-Rox corporation. <laughs> if it's pronounced Xerox, why don't they spell it with a Z? <laughs> why would I work for somebody yeah. if they can't even spell their own name right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. X-Rocks. Um, yeah, so then uh, the professor doesn't want to know the chemical formula that uh, mm. goes into the thing, but then goes oh, to his man. bar and asks Marty if he wants a Coke. And Marty <laughs> thinks that he's guessing the chemical to use, 
but the professor is oblivious and just assumes that it's the, something the kids still drink in the 80s. And I love uh, it. he tells Marty he can get the chemicals, or he tells Marty that Marty can get the chemicals and then uh, wire the <laughs> power converter to the time machine, point it at the sun, and then they can send him home. Marty then says they don't point it at the sun. They actually need a nuclear reactor. And then the professor <laughs> chokes on his drink and wonders how much energy they need. So then they start listening to the tape. And Marty says, release the rope. It's 4,200 rads. And the professor is shocked. And he says he can't achieve, they can't achieve that under controlled conditions. And he'll go to the university first thing in the morning. He tells Marty to stay in the house and not interact with the outside world. And he's even got one of those fancy television sets. And Marty fumbles with his Coke bottle trying to twist off the cap, but the professor shows him that he needs a bottle opener. I just love the whole reaction of the dog watching him try to twist it yeah. off. He, he just takes it, opens it, and then hands it back and just like, stares at him for a beat. Yeah. He wants to ask what's up, but he doesn't. <laughs> Like, he really wants to know. <laughs> but that's just another uh, little thing. I, I loved how it made the final cut yeah. uh, with George, obviously. Mm -hmm. Although George is a little more nonchalant about it. He just is like... Oh, yeah, totally. He just grabs the bottle and opens it for him instead of, like, yeah. wondering anything about it. But, uh... Yeah. Also, <laughs> I, I like in the movie how Marty has already like disrupted events by this time and mm -hmm. the professor and Doc Brown is like don't interact with anybody or do anything and he's like well kind of already messed things up here <laughs> yeah. and then they need to go fix it uh, I don't like hear yeah. how Marty just ends up being a complete douche and just yeah. intentionally like going and like Messing stuff up. Exactly. But, uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, he's... <laughs> oh, I guess we didn't get there yet. Um, yeah, so... Marty wakes up in the morning, turns on the radio, but there's no rock and roll playing at all. Only 50s songs. And he fumbles with a coffee pot, which I don't get, because coffee pots have been... are still around. They're still used a lot, but anyway... He also, like, fumbles with a bottle of milk, and then he tries to read different magazines, but he's seen everything. And he tries to newspaper. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> he tries the newspaper, but it's no better. And the doorbell rings, and Marty cautiously goes to the door, and eventually decides to open it, because he figures, what the hell? And it's Professor Brown who accuses him for opening the door, and possibly changing I love the that course so much. of the <laughs> So they have an argument, but Marty finally seems Aww. to understand, and the professor slams the door and exits. So, uh, he's just standing uh -huh. right there. You answered the door. And then he closes it and walks away. <laughs> It's not like he was about to oh, come man. into the house or anything. Yeah. I just love how 
Marty does open it and the professor yells, Aha! Yeah. You answered the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He is a scientist. Yeah. Pack off, man. I'm a scientist. <laughs> so, right. yeah, then Marty climbs out the window in the professor's clothes with his hair slicked back. And he almost has a run-in with a cop. But it turns out the cop was talking to somebody else. And then Marty spots things like giant 8-inch TVs and gas for 18.9 cents a gallon and stuff like that. And then Marty goes into a record store and is offended that the number one single is Papa Loves Mambo by Perry Como. (laughs) Which, I guess I could play that too while we're at it. Get some good atmosphere. Uh, but the clerk has never heard of this rock and roll of which Marty speaks. So Marty goes to a pawn shop and pawns his watch for a guitar and then plays blue suede shoes for a talent agent. And the talent agent doesn't like it and doesn't think it will sell, so he kicks Marty out. But a man outside the door named Reginald, who's listening, um... Reginald Barry. He manages bands and he loves what he heard. And he gives Marty a business card and tells him to be at his office on the 18th at noon to play it for a real important cat. Did you mention Reginald Washington, 32, is a black man? Oh, did it say that specifically? Yeah. I did not. Because he's the only one that likes rock and roll other than Marty so far. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just love how this kind of reminded me of the Spider-Man script. <laughs> this is random guy is like, oh, man, this guy is oh, talent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marty is such an asshole. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Trying to invent rock and roll. <laughs> Come on. And, uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that at the end, too. Yep. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Such a ridiculous ending. <laughs> but back at the house, Marty is practicing the guitar in his bedroom, and he hears the door. If you know what I mean. <laughs> and he uh, hears the door open downstairs and puts everything away, and he goes downstairs to see a sullen <clears throat> Professor Brown. And he says, uh, Professor Brown says he found an energy source that can produce 4,200 rads. An atomic bomb. And Marty scoffs at the idea, saying he'd be melted. And the professor says time travel is instantaneous. The time, it sh- the time <laughs> like machine he would did melt, it yet. but he'd be fine. But the only place they could get in the vicinity of an atomic blast is at the Army's Nevada test site. And those are top secret. Even less secret than Coca-Cola's secret recipe. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. At any point reading this, uh, did you expect them to lead up to the lightning strike like I did? Um, I, I, I mean, this is where I stopped thinking they would do it. Yeah, I, I, was, I wasn't sure because they hadn't mentioned it and yeah. I don't know. Because uh, like, they kept on uh, harping on the uh, radiation is what they needed for yeah. whatever. And I'm just like, man, obviously they're not going to get an atomic bomb because 
you know, I was waiting for a lightning strike this whole time. Mm. So the Mr. Arky's class at the beginning, I just went over my head, not paying attention mm. to it. But, you know, the closer I got, I'm like, man, atomic bomb. <laughs> <laughs> How are they going to pull this off? Because, like, right, this line here, mm. I thought that was the end of it. Like, they're going to have to find another way. Oh, uh, yeah. But then, like, I mean, we'll get there, but but in case I forget to say it, like, I was waiting for, like, a heist movie to kick in, <laughs> you know? But we'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Marty runs upstairs and finds the textbook page that he passed to Susie Parker, as well as Reginald's business card that he took earlier. And on the textbook page is a picture of the mushroom cloud saying, Last above ground atomic test, 15 megatons, March 18, 1952, Atkins, Nevada. And the business card from Reginald has the same date, March 18th. <laughs> so he throws the textbook page in the trash and puts the business card in his jacket. And the professor Horrible. comes in and asks what's wrong, and Marty says nothing. And then the professor sees the guitar and wonders where it came from. Marty says that he found it in the closet. And then uh, he wakes up in a good mood, and he expertly does all the things that he messed up the first time around. And the doorbell rings, and he expects it to be Professor Brown again, but it's actually his mom. And she asks if he's feeling better, and he says he's fine. And she asks if he's going to school since he's sticking around for a while. And he says, school? I never thought of school. If I went to school, I could blend in with everybody else, couldn't I? And then she leaves. <laughs> she really does not react to what that. What do you say to that? <laughs> oh, this is when he asks, after she's like, um... He asks what time school starts. She says nine. Yeah. And then she's late. So. Yeah. So nine o'clock would be late. Or. Really late. Or. Unless. It starts at. Man. When does school start? Maybe it's, it starts at nine. Maybe she, it's like. Eight. Fifty or eight fifty five or something here. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah. So then. Marty goes to school, and everything seems very fresh and new, and... He wants to go to school. <laughs> and he goes to the science room and sees his science teacher 30 years younger. And uh, Marty tells him that he's supposed to be in the class, and he's a new kid, and his name is Marty Lewis. And then we cut to later with Mr. Archie teaching... And he ponders what life might be like in 30 years, saying that women so will be able to have a robot to assist in all their duties as a wife. And then a wise guy calls out, I hope those robots don't be assisting in all my wife's duties. And it turns out this wise guy is Biff. And he has three conies named Gums, Match, and Skinhead. Ugh, horrible. Yep. Um, but yeah, then Biff makes some more lame wisecracks and notices really Marty lame. staring at him. And he says, what are you looking at, a-hole? <laughs> I feel like in the movie, 
Butthead is a much better oh, like, yeah. catchphrase or whatever. But Definitely. in this script, especially rereading it, A-hole is very appropriate for what he calls Marty. <laughs> like, yeah. Butthead's just not going to cut it in this, yeah. in this version. Butthead's just too common because <laughs> Marty's an asshole. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the teacher asks for other people's predictions on what the world will look like in 30 years. And then uh, he asks for McFly's ideas. And then Marty is shocked until he sees in front of him is his dad. And then Marty stupidly calls him his dad. And everybody just ignores his outbursts completely. <laughs> I love how, like, he keeps saying stuff and everybody just tries to ignore what he's saying. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know what's wrong with this guy, but we're just going to pretend he's Seriously. not talking. Yep. Works out for him pretty well. He just goes, Jesus Christ, Dad! And everybody ignores yep. it. M- poor Mr. Archie. I don't know how anybody could like, ignore that. Uh, <laughs> just trying to teach a class here. Yeah. But no, he's like, one of his teachers It's like so positive yeah. about what he's doing and full of life. <laughs> he's not talking about nuclear annihilation yeah. at all. Yeah, just another good mirror scene. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. yeah. And just more Biff. Yeah. I guess. So, uh, then Biff insults Marty's dad, and then Marty stands up for him. And Mr. Arky calls on him then, and Marty recalls one of Mr. Arky's predictions of cars that go two <laughs> to three hundred miles per hour. And says that they'll be using an awful lot of gas. What if we run out? And then Mr. Arky and the class laugh at him. And that's specifically one of the things that he talks about later. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Run out of gas. <laughs> but yeah, then uh, class lets out and Marty follows his dad as inconspicuously as he can. And uh, George runs into Eileen, and she says hi, but he's so nervous he makes a fool of himself, and she giggles and leaves, and George continues to make a bumbling idiot out of himself, and Marty is embarrassed. And at lunch, George goes to ask Eileen to dance, to the dance, but she spots Marty behind him and interrupts him. George spills his lunch all over himself, and Marty says, Aren't you going to ask her to the dance? And Eileen wonders if that's what George was going to ask. Then George just blurts out no and runs away. And (laughs) Marty tries explaining to Eileen that this is the way it's supposed to happen, that he's supposed to ask her to dance. And then she flirts with Marty, saying nobody's asked her yet. You would be an amazing George McFly. But, uh, yeah, then we get uh, Professor Brown is furious with Marty for interrupting the event. And Marty doesn't really seem all that worried. But then the professor explains the gravity of the situation. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) He seems to understand after that. (laughs) Yeah. I do love uh, the prof's. 
dialogue here at the end. <laughs> it's like, um, you better make sure your old man asks her out because if he doesn't, they may never have a first date. If they don't have a first date, they won't have a second date. If they don't have a second date, they won't fall in love. <laughs> if they don't fall in love, they won't get married. And if they don't get married, you'll never be born. <laughs> Marty, Marty gulps. I just, he had to go through like all of yeah. this. It's like, once they get to the second date, then they can be in love. They that's, that's you know, the natural progression of events. Yes. I mean, as long as your second date isn't talking about pissing your pants, you <laughs> should be fine. Based on true events. Just saying. Um, but yeah, let me cut to Marty and George going to the malt shop to ask Eileen to the dance. And this scene plays out very similar to its counterpart in the movie. Definitely. Um, except here, George doesn't know what to say, so Marty writes it down for him. And <laughs> I do like the movie version better, where George just starts writing down things that Marty's saying. He's like, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. <laughs> I'm your density. <laughs> so they go into the malt shop. Marty sits down at the counter. George goes up to Eileen. And then Biff comes in. And the exchange is pretty much exactly the same as in the final movie. And then Marty trips him. And then him and his cronies chase Marty out the door. <laughs> and the chase scene also plays out almost identical beat for beat as the final movie. Oh, yeah. um, Marty grabs the homemade scooter from some kids outside and he breaks off the top and turns it into a skateboard. And then Biff follows along in his car and Marty grabs onto a car's bumper and rides it around. And eventually he causes Biff's car to run into a cop car, not a manure truck. Um, that's the major difference here, but his line is the exact same at the end. I'm going to get that son of a bitch. (laughs) yes just a small little thing um you didn't mention anything about the uh the pens they had to use like they actually had to use oh yeah um like an ink jar Yeah, in the school uh, they were using fountain pens that they actually had to dip into ink and collect the ink into the pen um and when Marty's writing down all the stuff for George, it's just he's just using a ballpoint pen, and George <laughs> is fascinated by it. He doesn't. Yeah. He's like, "How do you get the ink in there?" <laughs> and it's in the script. It's very specifically a Bic pen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I don't um, know if they got like uh, Gail were not worried about. I don't it. know if they got like product placement deals before they even wrote the script or something, but. Definitely felt yeah. like it. It's odd for a script. <laughs> for me, yeah. anyway. But yeah. I was like a little bit. <laughs> a bike pen? <laughs> Bick George. Oh, man. But uh, I'm going to get that son of a bitch. <laughs> but yeah, the, at the chase scene, uh, one of the things that I missed from the chase that they do in the movie 
is when he lets the skateboard go under the car and then runs across the top yeah. of it. Yeah. That was like my favorite part of the whole chase. Definitely. Um, but yeah, then uh, after the chase, Marty just continues to casually skateboard around. And <laughs> 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 uh, then he sees George walking Eileen home. And Marty. Exclamation point. Marty is relieved and skates off. And then after Eileen closes the door, George is pissed and slumps into the gutter. And uh, then Marty is back in the professor's place, and he rips up the business card and finds the textbook page in the trash. And uh, he walks in on the professor listening back to the cassette tape, much like in the movie how he's watching the video. And he's like, fascinating thing, this video unit. <laughs> uh, then Marty shows but, him the page. Oh. Yeah, you should probably mention that he's re-listening to the section with the gunshots yeah, repeatedly. Yeah, the the part where he hears the loud bangs of the gunshots is the part that he's most fascinated with because he can't figure out what the noise yeah. is. And uh, yeah, so. Then, um, yeah, so, Marty... Textbook page. Yeah, no, yeah. Marty shows him the page, and uh, Brown says that they'll get an army surplus truck, mount the time machine on it, and drive it to Nevada. And I don't know how hard it is to get an army surplus truck, but I guess if they're going to the middle of an atomic bomb blast, what the hell, right? This is where I thought, like, they were going to shift into a heist movie <laughs> at some point. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be so awesome. No, he's just going to get his army surplus truck. No big he, deal. That's literally what he does. <laughs> he just shows up with an army surplus truck. It's ridiculous. <sighs> but, yeah. But he has to be uh, 800 yards from ground zero from the blast. Yeah, that's the exact place where they will hit 4,200 rads. And send him the equal amount of time back to the future. Um, See if these bastards can do 5,000. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Eileen calls, <laughs> and the professor kind of gives her the brush off, and he oh, tells man. Marty that she wants to know if he would like to go to the dance. And he says that he swore George asked her. But the professor says that she probably turned him down and that now she has the hots for Marty. I love how he's trying to be scientific about yeah. it. Yeah. says, uh, apparently what has happened is that her maternal instinct has transcended the gap of time and this has caused an alteration in your mother's emotional behavior. <laughs> Are you trying to Are tell you trying me, to tell me? <laughs> that my mother's got the hots for me? <laughs> oh, man. In a matter of speaking, yes. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah, so uh, then we cut to Marty going to the malt shop again. And he tells Eileen that he will go to the dance with her. And he creepily hides a tape recorder under the table like a freaking weirdo. And yes! <laughs> then, then later, Marty and the professor are listening to it while putting the time machine on the surplus truck, 
And they've made the time time chamber out of a refrigerator lined with lead to protect Marty from the radiation. And after Marty leaves on the tape, um, Eileen goes on to say that she used to like George because he was shy, but it turns out he was just chicken. Nobody calls me chicken. Nobody. Yes. (laughs) Nobody. He's just chicken. (laughs) And, uh... Back it up. Replay it. He's just chicken. (laughs) And I I like the... the, They brought back the chicken thing for the... Oh, yeah. There's a lot of gold in here. Obviously, it made it, you know, most yeah. of it. Um, then we cut to George and Marty, and it's almost word for word the same as in the movie when they're going over the plan, but instead of just walking around and going over it, Marty is asking George to punch him, Fight Club style, and uh, <laughs> he, wants, go that far. he wants George to practice his punching to make it look good. Um, and there's a punching bag in the tree for George to practice on. And, uh, yeah, so... You're lying, George. <laughs> hey, you, get your damn hands off her. You really think I ought to you swear? You really think I should swear? Um, yes, goddamn it, George, swear. But, yeah, so... so uh, he doesn't say that here. Yeah. Wish he did. Yeah, it kind of. I don't know if like Michael J. Fox ad libbed that into the line, or if it's always you know if they <laughs> added that in in the script. But uh, it does make yeah. the whole thing a lot funnier. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Marty is trying to get George to let out his anger and on the punching bag, and eventually he and does. George. He misses the bag. Yeah. <laughs> it's the tree. <laughs> and that's what makes him really angry. Yow! That's what he says <laughs> when he hits the tree. Yow! God damn it. And then, uh, we're, uh, back to George, uh, back to Professor and Marty working on the truck in the time machine. And they're putting all the finishing, uh, touches on it and getting all the supplies ready. And Marty is worried about hitting on his mom. And the professor gives him a speech about somehow, sometimes we must do things that are unpleasant. And, uh, yeah. I don't know if unpleasant is necessarily the word that I would use to describe it, but, uh, you know. The professor also says that the fate of the entire space-time continuum may rest on Marty's shoulders if he's unsuccessful in getting his parents back together. And that doesn't sit well with Marty. Uh, Nope. That's just what I needed to hear. (laughs) So then uh, we cut to the dance. The the spring in Paris. Oh man, this is so weird. Yeah. Um... And where Lester Moon and the Midnighters is the band playing. And is that racist? What? Is that racist? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I assumed it was just like they play late at night. 
But the script does just say for some reason that they're all black. So I don't know. It plays in later, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's true. If they weren't black, then it would be very confusing later in the mm -hmm. <laughs> script. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you call it spook, peck of wood. <laughs> but yeah, the, the students dance the tango around a papier-mâché Eiffel Tower. And George is by himself dancing out of time with the music. Very much like in the movie. Yep. And Marty and Eileen are in the car, and the conversation goes pretty much the same way. Uh, but Eileen's attack on Marty is much more aggressive and passionate. <laughs> and he's putting, she's putting his hands on her breasts and everything, and uh, just poor Marty. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he wanted, I mean, like. He didn't even want to do it to yeah, begin with. He, he, he yeah. probably wasn't going to take it that far, but... Uh, exactly. Uh, but uh, meanwhile, but then, yeah. George is getting... Oh, she does stop. <laughs> George is getting confused about what time it is, because he's getting mixed signals. <laughs> the yeah, it runs the in the family. The school clock says 8.59, but his watch says 8.55. And then he asks another kid who says it's 5 after 9... And then he calls the phone time person who says it's almost nine o'clock. And then. The year! <laughs> and, uh, nine is the time that he's supposed to go break up Marty and Eileen. And so now Eileen is half undressed and aggressively kissing Marty. And she finally stops oh. and says, This isn't right. And it's about time. <laughs> And we cut to George running down the hall, and then back to Eileen, and she says pretty much her same line from the movie. Uh, when she says, kissing Marty, it feels like she's kissing her brother. And then they hear someone coming, and it turns out it's Biff. And he's been looking for Marty, but when he sees Eileen and her half-nakedness, he tells his cronies to take Marty out back, he'll be there in a minute. Go on, this ain't no peep show. Love that yeah. line. <laughs> Even if he is, you know, what he's yeah. doing. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so the cronies drag Marty around the corner and run into Reginald Washington, who is smoking a reefer. Is that racist? <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's also probably just ridiculous to say smoking a oh, reefer. Yeah. Um... Yep. But then uh, the cronies say, listen, Spook, you looking for trouble? And Reginald just goes back into the school. No, sir. I ain't looking for trouble. And then uh, George gets to the car and he says, his line. Hey, you get your damn hands off. Uh Oh, and he realizes that he's facing Biff. Now he's really scared. As it says yep. in the script. Because you have to <laughs> mention that he would be really scared yeah. in that situation. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much all the same as in the movie here. Uh, I actually got goosebumps reading it through. Because mm. it's still a very powerful. Yeah. Movie. 
And uh, yeah, Biff's telling him to walk away, and I lead. Eileen pleads for help, and then he stands there conflicted, and uh, then we go back to the cronies, beating up Marty, and the main guy's hand is caught by one of the band members, and he says, who you calling spook, Peckerwood? And it's kind of a, I don't know, I... I that's, that's from the movie, Oh, yeah, I believe, that's exactly right? the line. That made it, yeah. But I, I feel like... This, in this script, it's just too long from back in the last scene when he was called the other guy's spook. I don't know. Mm. I, I didn't think it worked as a... Yeah. I don't know. I, I liked it in the... As a lot more... Uh, I, I just liked it in the movie better, how it's kind of like an immediate comeback. Like, you know, he, he's like, yeah. hey, you know, I don't want to get no... Involved with no reef radix here, or like, <laughs> but like it's it's like, you know, it's like immediately they're like, who are you calling spook, Beckerwood? I don't know. I, I would have almost like rather just had Reginald say that to him or something. Yeah, but yeah. but um, yeah. I'll, you know, when you're cutting back and forth between this and the attempted mm-hmm. rape, um, I liked in the original cut when they uh. You know, they tighten it up a lot more, like yeah. you said. Because this is just, like, dragging out both things a little too mm-hmm. much. It's definitely better in the film when they just, like, back and forth real yeah. quick. Showing you what's really important, because obviously a tense scene. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this just drags out a little too much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, obviously, they fixed <laughs> yeah. it, so. <laughs> but yeah, so then we go back to George. And Biff gets out of the car and twists his arm, and then George musters up the courage to punch him, and he knocks him out. And Marty runs up and sees what happened, Um, and Eileen and George go into the school together. And then Marty returns to the cronies being beat up by the band now, (laughs) and he tells them to get back in there and play the last song. And... They say the dance is over because Lester hurt his hand beating up the cronies. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> unless Marty knows someone who can play the guitar. And then we cut to Marty playing with the band. Uh, in the movie, the band is playing Earth Angel. But here, they're playing Turn Back the Hands of Time. Which... That's not on those at all. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're they're laying it on pretty thick here, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, after I really missed the. Uh, no, go ahead. I just really missed the photograph. And oh the, yeah. Disappearing hand. Yeah, that was good. Very nice addition. Obviously, higher budget allowed <laughs> it. But yeah. I wouldn't write for that. I wouldn't think. Oh, I have money for yeah, this. Seriously. You know what I mean. <laughs> But when they're when they're doing a atomic bomb action sequence, ah, I guess you're right. <laughs> it's kind of you a trade-off. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, who thought of that, man? Uh, yeah, the disappearing hand. Whoever thought of that? Yeah. But yeah. Um, after they're done playing the song, the audience wants another song. So Marty figures, what the hell, and plays the first rock and roll song the world has ever heard. 
Johnny Be Good. Same one that he plays in the movie. But then he goes into another song, Rock Around the Clock. And then uh, an elderly teacher calls the cops saying that there's a riot at the school. And I love uh, that. <laughs> um, the crowd loves the rock and roll. And Marty then says goodnight and tells Lester he's not going to be at the meeting Monday and warns the band not to play that song. Just don't do it. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll! <laughs> then, uh, outside the school, the professor is waiting in his army surplus truck. And, Love it. He just yeah, has it. Just parking it outside the school. No big deal. <laughs> then, uh, Marty comes out and just hops oh, in man. and, um... He says, yep. they dance, they kiss, they're in love. Let's go. Uh, we came, we saw it kicked its ass. <laughs> and uh, Marty and the professor stop for some gas along the way and change into army uniforms. And the professor feeds the guard at the test site some BS about dropping the refrigerator and truck off because the companies want to see what the bomb does to them. Yeah. This kind of brings us around to holes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit. <laughs> it all comes full circle. <laughs> but, yeah, I love how the doc just has apparently all these government connections. Because yeah. he just hands this guy paperwork that seems yeah, legit. Seriously. And then they're like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, then, uh, some top brass, uh, army guys see them and wonder how many refrigerators they have to blow up. And, uh, <laughs> Marty and the professor arrive at their destination and start setting up. And some techs do last minute checks 30 minutes away from the detonation time. And the professor reminds Marty to drive the truck up to the 800 yard mark at three minutes out. Then he asks what those loud bangs were on the tape recorder. Marty says there are some doors that shouldn't be opened. And they say their goodbyes. <laughs> and uh, so then the professor is about to leave, but decides to put Marty's army jacket, which is the one that he put the Coke bottles into, onto the mannequin. And then he rides off um, to hide the mannequin and make it look more um yeah Marty <laughs> also the mannequin is from the test site because they set up a little town right. um fully stocked with all the different stuff and yeah so Marty doesn't notice him take the jacket and the top brass guys see the professor riding off and say that the place is now evacuated and um, Marty goes into one of the fake homes and sees it's well-stocked with food, Coca-Cola, etc. And he starts watching TV. This is a perfect place for him to interact without changing the flow of time for anything. How so? Just, you know, in a, in a house it's going to get blown uh, up yeah. by a <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I just thought about that. Coke in the fridge, you said, huh? <laughs> yeah. Weird. 
And then uh, the professor passes through the gate, and uh, when he's at a safe distance away, he stops and watches with binoculars. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Uh, they specifically towed away uh, in the back of the truck. Originally, they brought in the refrigerator and a motorcycle with a sidecar yeah. uh, for the listeners. I love how he apparently fooled the guys at the gate again <laughs> with the mannequin. Yeah, like when they're close up on it, like they still don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I just noticed that this time. But, that's but yeah, it. so. Uh, they're five minutes out now, and... Oh, the Howdy Doody show. <laughs> hey, yeah, there you go. Shows up. Um, then the professor gets on the radio with Marty and checks if he put the formula in the machine. Marty looks for it and sees that his jacket is missing. He tells the professor, who realizes that he took the jacket, and then Marty remembers the fridge and goes to get the Coke out of it, and now there's less than three minutes. <laughs> Marty gets the Coke... So in the chamber tense. and drives toward ground zero. And then the military brass see the truck driving and think it's a commie spy <laughs> trying to sabotage the mission. <laughs> what could they possibly do? <laughs> so the colonel tells them to blow up the truck. So they Why start not? to send explosions around the truck and Marty is terrified. My question is, first Obviously. of all... Why are they tr firing at a truck when they're about to detonate an atomic bomb? Like, quick, get that truck. It's like... <laughs> oh, apparently it wasn't uh, tense yeah. enough driving towards a nuclear explosion. Let's, you know, let's have the army shoot at them. That should, be, uh, that should make it yeah. more tense and dramatic. But yeah, so then Marty stops at the 800-yard <laughs> mark. And the military gets a bead on him, and he climbs on top of the truck, and then gets on the walkie-talkie with the professor, and hears him shouting to back up to avoid their incoming bomb. And Marty scrambles back in the truck, and then reverses, and he does so just in time as the bomb lands in front of him. And he then struggles to With small crater. get the car started and finally does and then heads toward the 800 mark, 100 yards away. And the countdown is nearing the single-digit seconds and he uses the walkie-talkie on the accelerator. Wait. What? Yeah, James. Oh, yeah. He jams the walkie-talkie. Yeah. I read that and I was like, wait, what, did the, what is he talking about? But yeah, he... <laughs> puts the walkie-talkie on the accelerator to keep it moving, and climbs out of the truck and turns on the time machine. Then the truck hits the crater left by the bomb and gets pointed slightly in the wrong direction. And then Marty turns the solar cell directly towards the bomb. And we get five, four, three. Marty opens the refrigerator and climbs in. Two, one, the bomb goes off. And then Marty is gone in a flash, and the professor sees the bulges in the military jacket that Marty was wearing and ponders, hmm, maybe <laughs> I can just look at what the <laughs> what the chemical is that goes into the time machine. Yeah. And uh, so then Marty exits the refrigerator to the Nevada desert and a bunch of destroyed stuff. 
and he his watch says noon and see what I thought was going to happen was I thought that him being further away from the blast would mean that he would get to the future at an earlier time so he could warn the professor about the gunshots just like in the movie i was wait yeah because i was like how is he gonna adjust i was a couple waiting for him to adjust the timer yeah, but there is no time and it wasn't until this time <laughs> yeah i didn't realize that until you told me uh you know face to face here that that's the number of rads is the uh, timer pretty the much, ratio yeah, yeah. So yeah, I started thinking that too. I'm like, man. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, uh, when he said goodbye at the test site, um, it said Marty's like realizing this is the last time he's going to see yeah. the doc. So I'm like, this is your chance to uh, do the thing, but he never did it. So I'm like, man, they're cutting this close. Yeah, I mean, like, I in my mind, it all lined up perfectly. Like, oh, yeah, so yeah. he's going to go back in time earlier accidentally. <laughs> And then he can warn him. But at this it point, it does not happen that way at all. <laughs> Boy, was I surprised. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, this could also be one of those movies where he actually did die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But let's assume he didn't because this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, he's just kind of wandering around in the de desert, unsure of where to go. And then a helicopter flies over and lands, and he realizes no. it's not a helicopter, <laughs> but it's Professor Brown in an aeromobile. And it, I can't believe we didn't cover it that earlier. It looks like a 1950s car, and it has a power converter on the back. And uh, Professor informs Marty that it's March 18th. 1982, exactly 30 years, just like they planned. And then he tells Marty to hop in his car, and the professor pulls out a Coke bottle and pours it into the fuel tank in the glove box, and Marty guesses that the professor peaked. Professor says he figured, what the hell? And then they fly off in the aerodrome. And the professor says that oh, he man. never rebuilt the time machine after the, Marty left the past. It was too risky messing with time travel. And he experiment <laughs> and experiments with time travel were banned in all 87 states when the governor of Cuba caught someone messing in the Bermuda Triangle in 1964. So, what Marty did... <laughs> in the past <laughs> screwed things up so much that yes. in 30 years in no in 12 years 12 they have already had known experiments with time travel after the professor had not rebuilt the time machine and now they're and in that 12 years Oh, man. We somehow gained 37 states. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> and there's a known uh, time travel abuser. Oh, yeah. 
That's. <laughs> they already have rules oh, about messing with time travel in 12 years. <laughs> That's how badly Marley screwed up everything. Seriously, um, it's like. That is the perfect example of the butterfly oh, yeah. effect. Um. 87 states. <laughs> how many times do you have to reread this? <laughs> Because I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Six, I was like, what? Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> that went back up. 82, yeah. Kept, that went back down. 64, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That was... Yep. And he didn't build the time machine that sent yeah. money back. And then he tries to explain He's how it doesn't matter. He's the only one that had a time I'm machine. Like, no. I don't know. No. <laughs> so much havoc on just 12 years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And I think it was back in 52 for like two, three days. I thought it was more like a week. Was it? It felt like longer in the movie. <clears throat> I, I mean, I think they show more in the movie, but I think yeah. in the, the script, it's a lot of him just kind of hanging around. Right. But, yeah. So, um... <laughs> he always he stepped through an interdimensional time yeah, warp. That's, uh... Marty wonders how he traveled back in time then if Professor never rebuilt the machine. Which is a good question. Because I feel like that really could uh, disrupt the space-time continuum. But, yep. you know, what the hell. Apparently he stepped <laughs> into the bathroom and never came out. And <laughs> <laughs> he actually stepped through an interdimensional time warp created by the original operation of the machine. But the professor covered for him, saying he was helping him with an experiment. And uh, this happened at the Orpheum Theater, which is still in operation in this version of the timeline. And The best timeline, yeah. if you will. So Marty sees Cleveland out the window, and there's skyscrapers <laughs> and flying cars. And uh, Professor Brown lands at Marty's home, and Marty goes inside and is greeted first by a robot... You're skimming way too fast for this part. <laughs> I mean, just saying. Uh, yeah, they're talking about like how sleek all the buildings are and skyscrapers yeah. and flying cars everywhere, and like everything's like shiny and like it's like the future that we saw from the seventies. Yeah, but it's like nineteen fifties still. Like everything's yeah. still old looking, but. New looking. Yeah. Exactly. I just wanted to clarify that like, everything has changed. Yeah. <laughs> like, no building has straight edges, apparently. Everything's like... Rounded and... Um, aerodynamic and yeah. rounded, yeah. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. A goddamn robot butler, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he speaks in electric, electronic monotone. <laughs> Greetings, Master <laughs> Martin. Let me take your coat. Right. So, <laughs> so after that robot, oh. uh, he's greeted 
warmly by his mom, and uh, Marty then walks to his dad's study and sees along the wall on the way a bunch of boxing awards yeah I loved it. and an ad for a tooth care product by e brown enterprises the sano dent ultrasonic tooth care system <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah then uh he meets his dad <laughs> who is now confident and energetic and uh out the window, Biff is a security guard snoozing in a chair. <laughs> and George wakes him up and asks him what he's paying him 50 cents an hour for. <laughs> and then uh, Biff calls him Champ, because that's his nickname in this timeline from being boxer. Because he, he has a, a belt engraved, I believe, with uh, Champ of 1963. Yeah. George McFly, George M. McFly, world middleweight champion, 1963. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then George writes a check using a device that he suctions to his head and then waves a, a wand to make handwriting appear, <laughs> which is like so many steps when you could just write the freaking <laughs> check by hand. Yes. It's like, hold on, let me get out my thing and suck it onto my head and then uh, get out this other thing and start waving it around. The right-o-matic, I believe. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What's wrong, son? You act like you've never seen a right-o-matic before. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, then Marty takes out his Bic Uh, pen and examines it. And George is like, oh, an antique pen. Let me see that. I haven't seen one of these in 30 years. Yes. <laughs> but he still asks, how do you feel? Yeah, so thick pens were I'm never like, made then. Yeah. But uh, I think he's, you know, skimmed over something again. Uh, what he's actually writing a check for is the fuel Yeah, bill. I was just about to mention okay. that. Okay, yeah. go ahead then. Uh, yeah, he's writing the check for... Uh, the energy bill, which is to Coca-Cola. <laughs> and apparently uh, $2 is pretty high for a, an electric bill. <laughs> and um, then Eileen enters with Susie. And then Professor Brown enters. And apparently nobody has ever heard of rock and roll. And... Marty grins and says, maybe it's time you did. Because, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean. Apparently his warning held a lot of weight to it. Yeah, because nobody ever <laughs> in the history of the world had even the concept of rock and roll. Well, maybe it's because he started a riot, an actual that riot. Well, I don't know if it was a real riot. Uh, Actually, we find out with a hydraulic scrapbook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so George sits down after they all leave and gets out a hydraulic scrapbook where the pages turn by themselves. But it seems like it would be a 
a huge book and take up so much space yeah. just for the added convenience of not having to turn the pages by hand. That's back before they had dustproof paper. <laughs> so he gets to a newspaper clipping of the school dance and sees Marty on the stage. And he shakes his head and says, nah, it couldn't be. But it is the end. <laughs> oh, man. There's so many things to say about this ending. Oh, man. On the one hand... Definitely not oh, ideal yeah. for setting up a sequel. No, not at all. <laughs> Although you could do interesting things with the whole time travel being a legal thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, Looper. You know what I just thought of? What if Professor Brown is the one who, like, instigated all, like, the time travel rules and people not messing around with it <laughs> just so that he could have a successful business and then nobody could go back oh, in time man. and ruin it for him. That's great. Because it's like, yeah, if you think about it, how many other people were working on time machines? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so many that it had to be outlawed or whatever. Like maybe like... he gave the idea to other people and then... Yeah. Oh. I don't know. Maybe he's the one that caused all the problems. Maybe <laughs> Marty hardly caused anything. Yeah. I don't know. Or, uh, yeah. Ooh, here's a thought. Maybe whenever the, uh, the first time machine, uh, activated, mm -hmm. it sent more than just Marty back in time. What if it, like, sent, like, some of the other agents oh, or yeah. something? And then they're like, man, I have to figure this out so I can go back. That's a stretch, but it I just be. thought of it. And um, this uh, George looking at the picture of uh, Marty in the mm -hmm. scrapbook. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the robot chicken sketch of Back to the Future. Where George is like, you know what? This kid looks an awful lot like that guy from high school. <laughs> But he's just like, nah, couldn't be. <laughs> but it is. Oh, man. That's what he says in the script. It's not even dialogue. It just, but yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But yeah, uh, reading this back uh, the second time with George watching boxing mm -hmm. was like, that's when, that's why we both went, oh, obviously. Yeah. Oh, man. Pretty well put together. Yeah, I'd say so. I feel like if you're going to do a time travel movie, you really need to have your shit together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think they completely <laughs> thought this through. <laughs> <laughs> They're just messing around with time travel oh. like it's no big deal. Yep. Also, this kind of just reminded me of Fallout. Yeah, I got like, that Like, this could have been a prequel. Too. Like, uh, like I him, guess it couldn't be a prequel. Him in the in the uh, model home with like going into the fridge and yeah. taking out a soda. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. that's great. And like when it got to the future, it's like 
Aeromobile and Brightomatic yeah. and all that stuff. I'm just like, man, this feels a lot like Fallout. Mm-hmm. All because uh Coca-Cola. Yep. And then I was like playing out the logistics of the energy efficiency of creating that much Coca-Cola <laughs> to transport all that stuff with its own formula, replacing gas eventually. Yeah. Just like, ah, seems so improbable, but I want to believe <laughs> in it because, <laughs> oh, it's like yeah, I... they they really set it up with solar power at the beginning, yeah, for, like, renewable energy, and then nope, we're gonna go with coke. Yeah, I mean, like, if you think that oil <laughs> is not a renewable energy source, Coca-Cola is, like, not anywhere close to renewable, like, sustainable energy for any lasting period of time. Because if they have yeah. to pump out, like, 100,000 million gallons of this stuff every year for people to just use yeah. for their homes, like... Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Would it still be called green energy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But you know what? Um, I just remembered something the first time I read this. Um, and it was one way they first said uh, the power converter was set up for solar power. Mm. I kind of thought they were going to set up like they needed the power of an eclipse for something. Mm. But obviously that never happened, and I don't know if it'll work anyway. Yeah. Obviously, science—the science in this—is pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can't believe. You know, whenever I made up the alternate ending for Trezek Park last time, <laughs> that was obviously a goof. <laughs> A really quick gag. But as I read this, I'm like, well, there's no way Eric can even try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, oh. like, the whole thing felt like... It felt like I was being messed with. Yeah, like, if, if I was, like, telling you what the script was and you had not read it yeah. beforehand, you'd be like, okay... <laughs> That's great and all, but, like, what does it actually say in the script? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this kind of reminded me of uh, the end of uh, Back to Future 3, where Brown just says, fuck it, <laughs> and makes the fucking flying train. Yeah, he's like, Marty, when you go back to the future, just destroy this thing. Yeah. That way I can build a big-ass <laughs> locomotive that flies around, <laughs> travels through time, and I'll go wherever I want to. It's just like one of those instances where um, it almost feels like the Doc just wanted all the power to himself. <laughs> he never wanted Marty at all to begin with. He just yeah. needed him for his help. Yeah. You're just some kid that helped him... Uh, you know, scan and he got to use all the fun for himself. Yeah. I'm disappointed they didn't bring Shemp back. Oh, yeah. He just runs out of the way and then they never bring him back at all. <laughs> yeah. Man, that time travel. Oh, I don't even know what to say <laughs> after reading that ending. 
It's very surprising and jarring. Oh, yeah. Like, it feels like a Simpsons episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you ever see that one Treehouse of Horror episode where uh, Homer accidentally builds a time machine out of a toaster and he goes back in time and it's like he goes back to the dinosaur era and he like accidentally like squishes a mosquito and then he goes back and like something is different yeah and then he keeps coming back and he like does other stuff and it changes everything Uh, that's what i felt like when uh Reading through yeah. this. I mean... Ugh. It also kind of reminds me of uh, Futurama. Mm. Whenever <laughs> the professor is talking about his failed time machine. And then Zoybert says, If only it had worked, you could have gone back in time and stopped yourself from working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Because obviously not working on the time machine worked out much better for him. Yeah, seriously. Like the whole his problem the whole time was just that he spent too much time working on the time machine and not enough time working on his other inventions that obviously people liked. Holy shit, is that supposed to be a metaphor? Don't spend so much time in the past, focus on the present and the future? Yeah, but he was focused on the future. No, no. Oh, uh, yeah. He got me there. <laughs> he didn't want anything to do with the past. He only wanted the future. That's right. <laughs> Even though he said that he doesn't want to know the future because it's too dangerous. Yep. Maybe when he started working on the time machine, was he wanted to go to the past. <laughs> <laughs> then 30 years down the line, no, that was a stupid idea. No, I... I need to go forward. I know what I need. I need a time machine that'll keep me right here in the present. That way, (laughs) nothing can go wrong. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Here's a question for you. Um, After, you know, second time through, uh, Carl Sagan's uh, time travel theory is that when you time travel, you're actually making a new reality. Do you think this version of Back to the Future follows that rule? Or like the single timeline rule in the movies? Um, I I think this would follow that rule. Uh, Which one? The multiple, like creating an alternate okay. one. And, That's what it feels like to me. <laughs> and like, but in the other timeline... Marty disappears and Doc Brown is shot dead in his lab. So the rest of that universe is them trying to figure out what happened. And they just assume that Marty killed Professor Brown and then left and disappeared and never was heard from again. Unless the time machine just... You know, full on went nuclear. Oh yeah, that's true. Because after all, it was a homemade yeah. nuclear reactor <laughs> yeah. using ropes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh man. Yeah, I, uh, I just... <laughs> they couldn't make like a switch or like a yeah, uh, you know, uh, a moving lever. No, I want to do this now. <laughs> Let's use a rope. Come on, Brown. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh man, yeah, it's a very depressing uh, thought that it's multiverse. <laughs> Oh. And really, honestly, it would be the same way in the movie. The yeah. original timeline would still be uh, Marty meets up with him at the mall. He gets shot dead, and then Marty just leaves and disappears forever. Yes. <laughs> You should do that cut now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, uh, he like he'll just, you know, go back to... He'll, he'll, he'll head uh, 88 at the beginning. And then at, when he disappears, you just have the credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> cut in, like, a trailer or, like, other... Other movies where, like, there's a cop or something, like, talking about some kind of murder. Yes. Oh, man. Or, or I'm maybe, sure it can be done. maybe, like, you could splice in, like, Twin Peaks stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> Turn it into a Twin Peaks murder mystery. <laughs> but it's the Twin Pines. Yes. <laughs> I knew that's where you come with it. <laughs> oh. Well, no. Not at that point. It's no, still... in the no, first yeah, it one is. it is. It is. Yeah. Yep, you got me. Yep. It's the Lone Pine Mall. Yeah. Pond. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. Twin Pine Mall. Lone Pine <laughs> <laughs> He never bothered to plan another one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, great. Woof. So, yeah. Uh, I'm glad they changed uh, atomic energy to actual electricity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I'm glad for a lot of the major changes. Oh, yeah. Because there's so much I didn't expect yeah. this, with this. Like, the time machine is in a closet. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? It's... But then, like, I think uh, doing the truck at the end might have given, might have given them the idea mm. to do a moving time machine the whole time, yeah. I guess. Because, uh, if I'm correct, Back to the Future is the, uh, first use of a time machine that, uh, travels through space at the same time as moving through time. Because mm. any, any other time device is just like stationary, uh, machine. Mm. I could be wrong, but. Yeah, we'll go with uh, it. Uh, definitely innovative. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely innovative, you yeah. know, when you look at the DeLorean. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you're not going to make a refrigerator an iconic <laughs> thing. <laughs> you're not going to have people showing up with uh, army surplus trucks with refrigerators in the back. <laughs> it's so unique. <laughs> Just it's, not, it's not an easy thing to uh, come by. Right. Oh, I was so excited for like a mini heist, but <laughs> just like no, I have one pretty much. Yeah, when I I read, I have a, I have an army surplus. When truck. I read that, like his plan is like, oh yeah, so we'll just get an army surplus truck, and he's just listing <laughs> off all this stuff, and I'm just like, yeah, wait, hold up, like you have to get an army surplus truck, like that's not something to just like <laughs> say like, oh yeah, we'll just go do that thing. Can't just go buy an army surplus truck on the. Uh... <laughs> oh shit! I can't think of it. What do you say about plutonium in 1985? Oh yeah, I'm sure uh, plutonium <laughs> is available at every corner drugstore. <laughs> but in 1955, it's a little hard to come by. Oh man. Oh yeah, that's a good uh, point. Do you think they uh, intentionally made this 52 just to use that atomic blast? Oh yeah, because it felt it felt jarring to go well to move it up three years for the final. Movie. See what I think is they wrote this in eighty one, so they were probably like, all right, so if this comes out in eighty two, then we'll have it set for you know eighty two, and then they liked the thirty years thing. Yeah, I don't know. That's my guess. Uh, didn't they say 81 throughout the script, though? Did they? I, I know it's dated 81. I thought they said... Uh, Cleveland. I, where'd that come from? <laughs> I guess I, I guess they never said what town it why, was. Why are they passing by Cleveland anyway? Because like, they're in Nevada. <laughs> where does Marty live? That they are passing... Cleveland, Ohio. Like, where could he possibly be living? Yeah, because it was like uh, it was like a a morning's drive to get to the test site, I believe. No, right? no, it was, it was like a few it was days. A few days, yeah. It was. Okay. So I don't know. Maybe the, he lives in New York or something. But they never say where it is actually. Yeah. Yeah, Cleveland really threw me off. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, what? Yeah, I get very disoriented when they mention Cleveland. I think I was more disoriented with 87 states and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> time travel experiments are banned. Yeah, um,. Like I said, when the atomic blast goes off, that's when I imagine Marty could have just died. Yeah. And, you know, gone to the version <laughs> of heaven where the best possible outcome came about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. Uh, definitely a good pick. Yeah. Uh, really, I really enjoyed this one. And groaned a little bit inside. <laughs> for yeah, this was kind of like a I don't know a conglomerate of a lot of different scripts that we've read so far. 
Yeah. Like, uh, you got your uh, Holes script. A uh, little bit of that Spider-Man in there. Yeah. Um, got some... I don't know. Other stuff. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Just got a little, a little yeah. bit of a good... Interesting changes and some stuff that you're really glad that they've changed for the final product. For sure. Don't we have a Jurassic Park moment? Um, yeah, I could see this being a little like the Jurassic Park one. Because that was really different, too. Yeah. Oh, I think it's because I mentioned making my own alternate ending and it just felt so weird to (laughs) read this and realize it was true. But, uh, yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Definitely worth the read. I recommend it. If somebody just wants to read it. It does say first draft. That's actually pretty good for a first draft. Yeah. I have to say. I mean, there's obviously some kinks to iron out, but I've got a very good framework down. And uh, spoiling the end of uh, Close Encounters (laughs) of the Third Kind. Yep. Oh, and they're pirating the DVDs, so that links to our Pods of the Caribbean. (laughs) We just have to connect to Star Wars now, and I think we got them all. Yeah. Uh, oh, Office yeah. Space. Um, nah, never mind. Never mind. I didn't realize how many we did. Yeah. We can't connect them all. <laughs> Not yet. I gotta say, I just really enjoyed listening to the Collateral one. <laughs> I don't know why. Anyway, um, I guess we can rate the script. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> three and a half out of five. Yeah, I'll probably go with a three out of five. It's enjoyable. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think the only thing I didn't really like was uh, actually trying to shoot at Marty on his way to the <laughs> atomic bomb. Yeah, because what? How's he gonna mess it up? First of all, and um, yeah, Marty's just an asshole. Yeah, so. yeah, very irredeemable uh, protagonist here. He really doesn't deserve this trip to the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go with a three. I think you're right. I go with that. Uh, yeah, still plenty funny though, and yeah. Uh, a lot of the best stuff made it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think there's any great ideas in here that didn't make it to the final cut. Yeah. So, yeah. So what are we going to do next time? I don't know. I was kind of looking at it. The scripts here. Could do uh, um, Last Action Hero, since we mentioned that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all connected. 
Yeah, let's do that. Sounds good to me. All right, so... Oh, yes, I get to use uh, that uh, ACDC song for the outro. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Bacon. Baconator. <laughs> uh, Baconator. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. That would have been the perfect commercial. Seriously. All right. You should have just made it anyway. <laughs> So next time we will be reading The Last Action Hero First Draft by Zach Penn and Adam Leff. Uh, and I'm Zach. Get behind the shield. I'm about to release radiation. <laughs> Filmsandfables.com <clears throat> Also, Matt Mike in the movies, whichever one it is. Yep. Also, uh, Wikipedia Chronicles. Yep, so I'm Eric, and Zach, have you ever heard of rock and roll? No. Well, maybe it's time you did. <laughs>